Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. What a person, what a person believes about Jesus. I mean, really deep down believes about Jesus is the most important belief they will ever have about anything, or what they believe about Jesus. You see, if we get everything else, all of our other beliefs and everything, we get that right, but we get Jesus wrong, none of that other stuff is going to matter. And if we get Jesus right, but we get everything else wrong, we're going to be all right. And then Jesus actually, once you get Jesus right, all those other things start to find their rightful place in our lives. And so what we believe about Jesus is crucial because it affects everything. Significant impact uh, both in this life and forever when this life comes to an end. Now, I believe that Jesus had this issue in mind at one point, the disciples, they had been going around Israel, you know, crowds are getting large, the opposition is coming against him, all sorts of things happening. And at this point, Jesus leads his disciples away from the Jewish, where the Jewish people lived, and he, lit, he led them out of there to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was a pagan area. It was a Gentile area. And he got them out there in, a, in sort of a little bit of a wilderness area where he could talk with them and they wouldn't have all of that stuff around them, you know, influencing what can I say, what can I not say. Uh, they would be free. In other words, they, he took them out of the place where also everybody had the same basic beliefs. Took them away from there. And, and who knows what the conversations go, but at some point... Jesus asked his disciples this question. He said, who do you say that I, the son of man, as he often referred to himself, who do you say that I, the son of man, am? Who do you say I am? He actually says, who do men say I am? Who are people saying that I am? And undoubtedly, the disciples have heard all sorts of things, right? I mean, with Jesus, there's always something going on and people around and they'd heard lots of things. And so this is a fairly safe question to answer. And so the, the scripture tells us some, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And I was saying, the people were trying to figure out who is this Jesus guy and, and you know, where does he fit and what's his role? And so the disciples talk about this and maybe conversation went on. I thought well, maybe it got quiet for a little bit. And then Jesus asked him another question. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Wow, now that's a lot more pointed and personal question. And um, I believe that Jesus wasn't just, he was asking the, the disciples who were there with him, the 12, he was asking them this question because they needed to address this issue in their own lives. But I believe he also asked us the question. It's in scripture and it's there for us to see as well and for us to say, who do I say that Jesus is? 
Now, I imagine the disciples looked around at each other and said, who wants to go first, right? And, of course, who went first? Yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> yeah, Peter went ahead and said, okay, I'll go for it. And it says, Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Two big things here. One is uh, the, Jesus' identity and then what his role was. And his identity was that he is the son of the living God. He is God in human form. That's what Peter's saying. You are God who has come down to earth. We're talking to you, you're human, but somehow or other we're also talking to you as God. You're God. And then he also said, you are the Christ. And the Christ is, is a, um, Christ is the Greek word, well, translated into English, but the Greek word, for the Jewish word, the Hebrew word, Messiah. So they're saying, not only are you God, you're God here, but you are the promised Messiah, the one who was to come and to save us from our sins. That's who you are, the Son of God, God in human form, come to save our sins. And as we know, right, that's what he eventually did die and rise and, and uh, provide forgiveness of sins. But this is so crucial and by the way, Jesus goes on and tells Peter, hey, Peter, you didn't figure that out yourself. God enabled you to see that and understand that. Okay, so this is endorsed by God, you might say. All right, so I think that we could probably talk about this, 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 who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and all that that means. Let's just call this the Jesus truth. It's gonna encompass everything about Jesus. The most important thing that you will ever believe about anything about Jesus, the Jesus truth. Now, this runs all the way through scripture, uh, these things. The apostle Paul uh, became very clear to him and he says this, he says that in all things he, Jesus, may have the preeminence, okay? He should be over all and above all and before all and under all and after all. He should have the preeminence. In the uh, book of Revelation, Jesus says this about himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. As I am the be all, end all, again, over all, before all, after all. All right? The Jesus truth. And then it, it says earlier in Revelation that he is the king. That should say Revelation 19 something, sorry. King of kings and Lord of lords. Kings rule. Jesus rules kings. Lords command and tell people what to do. Jesus commands the lords. Right? He's over all this Jesus truth. And so we're going to consider this today. Um, what we're talking about here today is something that in almost every sermon, not always, but almost every sermon, I come to a point and, I, and we spend just a little bit of time talking about who Jesus is and, and how you need to you know, receive him as Savior. We talk a little about that. But today, that's what the sermon's about. Okay, We're going to take that, what's normally a smaller part, and expand it into the whole sermon. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. It's page 1118 in the Bible that's under the chairs. And as always, we encourage you to follow along. It'll be helpful to you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 and page 1118. 
Now, this is right toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? He's been telling them, you know, multiple things, uh, you know, that who, who receives God's blessings and, and what our role is and how the heart issues, you know, murder, adultery, those are heart issues. Uh, willingness to go the second mile, love your enemies, teaching them how to pray and how God is going to provide. And then he tells them, don't be judging, right? Don't be a judgmental person. He talks about that and then how God is going to provide again. And we get down to verse 13. See, he's really start, he's going to start summing all of this up and bringing it to a conclusion. So he says to them, enter by the narrow gate. Now, what Jesus has been saying in the Sermon on the Mount is pretty narrow. You know, he was saying not what you guys think, not what the religious leaders teaching, but this. So that was narrow. So it makes sense. He's going here and he's going to call it down a narrow, but it means even more than that. Okay. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. All right, so we have this picture, right? The two, two ways, two roads, really is what the word that's used here is. Two roads. One is narrow, and maybe it's difficult, but the other is a broad pave. Who's happy that they paved our street out here? All right? It makes it much easier, doesn't it? I mean, you used to have to pull out of my street and around the holes, which you didn't try not to pull into the other lane. I mean, it was a mess. I like the well-paved Broadway, and that is normal for all of us. In life, there's a lot of things like that. The easy way, the way that seems the most appealing at the moment, all these ways that you can live, all the beliefs that you can hold, all of those there, the wide gate, easy to get through. And then he's contrasting that with the narrow gate, and it's that it's a difficult way. He says not a lot of people find it. Um, that's probably a whole discussion itself. May we take up in our class on uh, obstacles to faith. But let me show you here. I want you to understand what I think Jesus is really saying here. He talks about the narrow gate, that Jesus himself is the narrow gate. He is the one we must go through for eternal life. There is no other way. We have to go through the narrow gate. The, narrow, the, the broad way is not the way to salvation, but this is the way to salvation, and it's through Jesus. Now, Jesus himself reinforces this idea elsewhere. Uh, in the Gospel of John, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. Let's just stop right there. I am the door. What's he talking about? Well, in his day, uh, the sheep, how they handle it, I think they still do some places in the world today, but they would build a, a sheep area, a sheep area, the word sheep coat, and I was trying to think how not to say that. It's a sheep coat. It's a place where the sheep can go in at night and be safe, right? But there's only one entryway, and it was open, and the shepherd stayed in the entry, Okay? And the only way you could get in or out was through the shepherd. Well, the Bible uses sheep when talking about people as God's people, doesn't it? We are his sheep. But here's what he says, right? I am the door. That's me. 
If anyone enters by me, through me, he will be saved. Okay? So you see how Jesus is the narrow gate? He's the one that we have to go through in order to receive eternal life. There is no other way to do that. A little bit later in John, he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive language, isn't it? I am the only way. You can't make it to God without going through me. Can you believe in God without going through Jesus? Can you think there's a God? It's not a trick question. Can you? Yes. yes, people can believe all sorts of things about God. But he says you can't actually have a relationship with God without going through me. Jesus is the only way. You have to have a relationship with him. You can't make up your own way. We'll talk more about that later. And Paul said this in his letter to Timothy. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So how many ways can you get to God? One way, through Jesus. That's it. So Jesus is the narrow gate. And then Peter, in one of his earliest sermons in the book of Acts, said this. He was talking about Jesus. He said, the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He's talking about what he did for us and to provide forgiveness of sins. And then he says this, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? We don't have to look very far in the Bible to find out that Jesus is this narrow gate and the, he's the one we have to go through for eternal life. Now, some of the implications of that, him being the narrow gate, as well as the rest of the testimony of Scripture, is this, a second thing, that Jesus is Lord. He's the one we must yield to and follow in life, okay? He is Lord. Lord means the one who calls the shots, all right? Uh, we might, it's a master-slave relationship, it's a father-child relationship, but the idea is he's, he's the one with the authority to say what needs to be done and what needs not to be done and how it should be done, all of those kinds of things. And Jesus raises the issue in scripture about this idea of him being Lord and he brings it to a focal point and he says this, but why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do the things which I say? Because if you call him Lord and you mean it, what, what's the other part? You do what he said. Now, we aren't perfect. We'll talk about that more. But we're not perfect. But in general, we do what he says. Why? Because he's, he's Lord. That's right. He is the Lord. He's not only the narrow gate. He's also Lord. Um, and so this idea of he's Lord, meaning that our lives ought to show that he's Lord. The decisions we make ought to show that he's Lord. The things that we love ought to show that he's Lord. So let's go to, back into our, our Bibles here, Matthew chapter 7 again. Because just a, after the passage we just read and worked on here, he tells them, hey, watch out. There's people going to tell you something different. Here's how you can know who they are. And then he talks about the judgment. In verse 21, 
Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. There we go. That's what he was talking about before, right? When he said, we call you Lord, Lord. (laughs) But you don't do what I say. And he says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, I was going to come back to that, but let's just do this here. What is the will of his Father in heaven with respect to making it to heaven. The will of the Father is that people believe and trust Jesus as Savior. That is the will of the Father. And he's saying, if you haven't come to me, I'm the door, I'm the one you have to have a relationship with to get in, okay? If you haven't started a relationship with Jesus, you have not done the will of the Father. And so he's saying to them, you say, Lord, Lord, but man, you never even start a relationship with me. And he continues, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Now, whether or not those are true statements or not, that's what they were trying to present as their reasons to get into heaven. Verse 23, Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So two things we want to see here. First of all, the issue is what? I never knew you. You never started that relationship with me. You never entered that relationship by receiving me as Savior. You didn't do that. And then he describes them as those who have done lawlessness. The word that's translated lawlessness is just the word for law with the letter A in front of it. We know this from the word atheist, right? Theist is what? Somebody who believes in God and ah, negates it, says, nope, (laughs) don't believe in God. And so here, there's the law, the way that I wanted you to live, the way you're supposed to live, and he says, no, you didn't do that. And this word is often translated iniquity, and it really kind of communicates for us that you did your own thing. You may have thought it was good. You may not have thought it was good. But you did your own thing. You weren't submitted. You, I wasn't your Lord. We never had a relationship, and you lived that way, <laughs> like we never had a relationship. Now, from this passage, there's at least two things that we helpful for us to remember and understand. First is that saying you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Okay? You can be adamant about it. I am a Christian. I am a Saying it doesn't make it so. We know that, right? That's true in all sorts of areas of life. The second one is this, that doing Christian things doesn't make you a Christian. Doing good things that you think a Christian would do does not make you a Christian. Uh, The Bible is just so, so clear that there's absolutely no way that we are... um, have our sins forgiven and receive eternal life starting a relationship with Jesus because of the way we live. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. By the works of the law, nobody will be made right in the eyes of God. So it's impossible for us. You can do all the Christian things you want, but it's never going to do anything unless you already know Jesus. Then you can do truly Christian things. 
because Christ will be within you. So these two things don't make you a Christian. Saying you're a Christian, doing outwardly Christian things doesn't make you a Christian. So what does? What makes you a Christian? Well, first thing is this. You have to make a conscious choice to believe and to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. There has to be this point in life where you reach the point of realizing that you're a sinner and that you are in trouble because you're you're guilty before God and and you deserve the judgment that he has for you. But then you know that he, wait, Jesus died for me, paid the penalty for my sins, rose again from the dead. Okay, there had to be at some point the conscious awareness of this and then you put your faith in him. I'm settling this issue. I'm receiving Jesus as my savior. First, first thing that must happen. And there's something that goes along with that, okay? And what goes along with it is this choice produces an internal change that never goes away. An internal change. When you receive Jesus, God himself moves in. He moves in in the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and you are what the Bible says is born again. And you, you are new deep down inside where all your Desires ultimately come from. You're brand new in there. And so he begins working. This begins, as we talked a few weeks back, working its way out into your life. And so this is what makes you a Christian. You actually made the decision to receive Jesus as Savior. It was sincere. It was genuine. You made that decision. And the moment you did that, he forgave every sin and gave you eternal life. But he moved in and made a change. And so if you haven't, if you haven't made that decision to receive Jesus as Savior, you can't say, well, you know, you might say, well, I kind of believe that stuff, but I don't know. If you haven't ever made that decision and you can see that there's no, man, there was never that change that, you know, that's still going on today. So that's for me. I remember April 4th, 1975. I remember conscious, I made that decision. Okay, God, I'm not saved. I see it. I believe, God, that Jesus is, you know, your son and that he died for my sin and rose again. And so I received Jesus, my savior. I put my faith in him. And from that moment on in my life, things were different. I'm not talking about a big emotional experience. Uh, oh, there were certainly some emotions there. I'm not talking about instantly I was this perfect Christian, far from it. But he made a change in me that got a hold of me and keeps me going forward with him. Not perfect. I mess up, but the, the direction of my life, it's, it's not perfection, it's direction, okay? That's the change that he's made in me. Now, so if you haven't done that, if you haven't made that decision, and if you haven't experienced this change in your life that changes how you live and what's important to you, like we sang this morning, this is my desire to honor you. If you haven't experienced that change, what makes you think that your sins are forgiven? What makes you think you're going to heaven when you die? That's make-believe. Because Jesus is very clear. Haven't we seen it? He's the gate. He's the door. He's the one we have to go through. No other way. And when we do that, it changes us. And so if we have not been to this place, then we have no reason to believe that we're safe. Now, I want you to think about your life a little bit. 
you think about your life and, and you know, how, do, how would I know for sure? Because I think I believe that stuff. I believe, I think I've been saved, but man, I'm not really living. All, of the, all the different variables that can be there. How would you know? What's a test we could use? And I'm not going to give you just one test. That's the end of the world, but I'm going to give you a test, which is a valuable test as you think about it, okay? When Jesus told his disciples what, they, what he was doing, what he wanted them to do when he was, after he left and, and uh, what needed to happen, he, this is what he said. He told them to go and make disciples of all the nations and then to baptize those disciples. He wanted them to baptize because it's, baptism somehow or rather still is a big deal for people. Understand, and I think that's good, it should be. But it's a big deal. And so the idea to choose to get baptized means I'm saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to what? I surrender to you. You said I should do this. I'm going to do it. Okay, it's part of that change, right? That change in how you approach life. And then um, he also told them to do it because it was to be a testimony to the world around them that I have received Jesus. I am now a follower of Jesus. Okay, I'm not perfect. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm going forward with him. And so if Jesus has commanded this to everyone who has believed, everyone who has received Christ as Savior, he says, you should be baptized, right? To obey me and to show me to others. So here's your question. If you say you've been saved, have you been baptized since you received Christ? Have you been baptized? Now, let me just be really clear. Getting baptized never saved anybody. All right? That's something that you, it's like anything else you can do. It's not going to save you. It's not going to take away. But what it is, it's evidence that you have believed. Is it proof that you have believed? No. But it is evidence, a good test. See, for me, um, I've been baptized in water three times because it didn't take the first two times. <laughs> in some sort of serious way, okay? I was, quote, baptized, and this isn't what the word baptized means from the Bible. It's what it come to mean in our culture. My parents had a, went to, took me to a ceremony where they put water on my head and an infant, and I cried and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, that's not what the Bible's talking about. And I certainly wasn't old enough to understand what it meant to receive Christ as Savior. And Jesus says, you make the disciple and then you baptize him. Okay? All right. And so as an infant. The second time I had started going to this church that was preaching the gospel, and I'm hearing all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I think I believe that. Oh, yeah, I believe that. And, and they said, you should be baptized. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll get baptized. And I got baptized. The problem was that I had never really come to grips with this personal thing in my relationship with God where I received, genuinely received Christ as Savior like we're talking about. Hadn't done it. So I didn't really get baptized a second time. I can say I did, but I really just got wet. Okay? And then finally, and you've heard me say, but on April the 4th, 1975, I finally, I came to grips with where I was at and, and I said to the Lord, okay, Lord, I know I'm not saved and I already said this today, but I believe I'm receiving Jesus and, and I did and he changed me April 4th, April the 6th, Sunday night, I got baptized because Jesus said to. And so here's where you find yourself today. 
You know, if you have genuinely received Christ and, and like we talked about, and you, you have been, you've experienced that change and you got baptized the way the Bible says, which is, you know, immersion, then awesome. Praise the Lord, right? Keep going forward with him. If you say, well, I have been genuinely saved. I remember when I trusted Christ. It's so clear to me. And yes, it did change my life, but I've never been baptized. Okay, well, well what may be going on is that you didn't really understand you didn't understand what the teaching about baptism was, that you ought to get baptized if you've received Christ as Savior. That's what Jesus said. And you just didn't really understand that. Nobody taught you. Maybe, maybe I haven't done a good job of making it clear to you often enough, okay? So you didn't understand. And that's not a problem here today, but it does mean that you ought to now decide to do what? Get baptized. Now that you understand, now that you know. And that would be evidence, again, that your heart has changed and you want you know, to live the way the Lord wants you to live. The other possibility is that you're just not genuinely saved. You haven't been saved. You haven't received Christ as Savior that we were talking about. And so you've never gotten baptized. Why would you get baptized? You know, you'd be doing like me, just getting wet. What's the point? And if that's your situation, let me encourage you today. You need to receive Jesus as Savior. You need to settle this issue for yourself once and for all, okay? All right, so that is one test. Okay, you can ask yourself that question and think through that. Where am I at with this, okay? Another test is that when you receive Jesus as Savior, we talk about this internal change, it changes the way you see your life. It changes how you see things, you know, what your purpose is in life, uh, what your identity is, how you're supposed to grow in life. And the Apostle Paul talks about this, what's happened to us in 1 Corinthians, and he says this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay, so when you receive Christ, God moved in, right? Personal Holy Spirit. So now this is his temple. This is where he lives. Temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And then he says this interesting phrase, and you are not your own. You don't belong to you anymore. Once you receive Christ as Savior, it begins to change your view of yourself and your life. And you say, wait a minute, I don't belong to myself anymore. And he continues, for you were bought at a price. What price was that? This is Jesus on the cross. This is Jesus taking the guilt and the penalty for every sin I've ever committed or ever will commit. The sins that you have committed, all of them, in the whole world. And so that moment that we receive Christ, that purchase is completed. And now we belong to him. And because we belong to him, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Okay, it's, this is supposed to change how I live. I see myself differently. I belong to the Lord. I want to honor him. I want to glorify him. Uh, it just produces this, this change. And so it changes how we see. And so there's another test for you. How do you see yourself? How do you see your relationship with God? Do you bristle at this idea of me telling you, hey, you don't belong to you anymore? You need to do what God says because you belong to him. You know, that might be an indication that you're not really saved. There may be some other reasons why you might have that response. But you understand what I'm saying? It changes the way you see life when you really, once and for all, receive Jesus as Savior. 
So let's go back to where we started here in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, again, page 1118. I want to talk about, we talked about the narrow, right? The narrow gate. But Jesus says here, verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. Difficult. What does he mean by that? Because isn't getting saved pretty simple? And by the way, when I use the word save, can I just make sure you understand what I mean? By that means that we are guilty of our sin, we are condemned, we will be judged and receive that judgment, judgment of hell, okay? When we receive Jesus as Savior, we are what? Saved from that. We are saved from the penalty. So if I use the word save, that's what I'm talking about, saved from the penalty of that. But he says, so but getting saved is simple. All you have to do is come to grips with the truth about yourself and your sin and believe that Jesus is who he said he was and he did what he said he did and put your faith in him, receive him. Simple. But there are things that are difficult to get there. So let's talk about those for just a little bit. Some of these difficulties. The first difficulty is this, that it's difficult to admit that I am the problem. That doesn't come natural to us. What comes natural to us? If, if something's bad in our life and we see it in culture all the time, it's not my fault, is it? It's my mama's fault. It's the system's fault. It's your fault. <laughs> uh, brothers and sisters, right, all the time like that. I mean, it's difficult. How many of you are old enough to remember the show Happy Days and the Fonz? Well, there's an episode where he realizes that he was wrong about something, and he tried to tell the person that he was wrong, and he says, I was, that's right. I was, he couldn't say it, okay? That's, and that's just a real funny portrayal of the reality for us. We don't like to admit that we are the problem. We are the ones who are messed up. That I am the one who has sinned. I am the one who has separated myself from God. I am the one who's headed in the wrong direction. It, all of that, it's on me and it's on you, okay? But so that is a difficulty. He says, difficult is the way. You gotta come to grips with the fact that it's you that needs this, okay? And the second thing from our human nature is this. It's difficult to have to depend on someone else to fix my problem. I mean, I bet if we went around and asked today, how do you feel about having to depend on somebody else to fix your problems? Most of us go, uh-uh, I don't like it. Maybe I need it, I don't like it. So this is another difficulty because we have to come to Jesus and say what? I can't fix this. I need you to. I need you to fix this. And so it's difficult. Now, these are human nature difficulties, but I wanna say that in our culture today, where we live, not just up here, I mean, but where we live in the United States and, and really the whole Western world is much like this, um, that it's difficult to accept that there's only one way to be saved and have a relationship with God, that there's only one way. There's only what? One way. That's hard for people in our culture to accept. Psychologists have noted this. The American Psychological Association had an article that says this. For middle-class Americans, choice is a central part of life. For this segment of the population, the ability to choose freely from among many alternatives is central to one's identity 
in daily life. We should have lots of choices. We can choose to do what we want to do, right? I can choose to be saved the way I want to be saved. I can handle this myself. I can do that. And I expect you to accept it. And really, I expect God to accept it. But so when they hear this, there's only one way to be saved? Really? Only one way? That's not well received. In fact, this is very politically incorrect, isn't it? Okay? And so here's a culture where, you know, what do you mean only one way? And then along comes a Christian and says something like this to people. There is only one way to be saved and have your sins forgiven and receive eternal life. You must place your faith in Christ as Savior. Okay? What is only one way? No way, right? Only one way, no way. I don't like that. And you get that pushback. Maybe that's you here today getting that pushback. But the fact that they don't like it or that you don't like it, think about this. The issue is not whether or not you like it. The issue is whether or not it's true, right? Because if it's true, so here's the thing that I think is interesting. Why are we, we, generically, as human beings, why are we complaining that there's only one way when we ought to be celebrating that there is a way? Because left to ourselves, there is no way. There is a way, yes, and there's only one. Very, very clear. And so we come back to the question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Because who you, you know, what you believe about me is the most important thing you will ever believe about anything. Who do you say I am? What do you believe about me? And, and what has that motivated you to do? Have you received Christ as Savior and, and experienced that change that only he can give? And so today, I want to just encourage you. First, I mean, I, I want, I, my desire is that nobody would leave here today not having received Christ as Savior, okay? It, there's no reason for you to leave without receiving Christ if you haven't already done it. Most of you have already done that, okay? I, I desire that. Second, I desire that you are looking at your life in such a way that now it is changing how you live. You're not just doing religious stuff. You're not making your own way. No, you're surrendered to Jesus and you're doing it. If you haven't been baptized, start there. Right? I want to see that indecision. And then I think, what about people who don't know this? What are we going to do about that? What are you going to do about those people in your life who are your friends, who are your neighbors, who are your relatives who don't know this truth? And I think we want to say, oh God, help us to figure out. Show us ways. Right? And figure out how to share this truth. And they may not like it, they may reject it, but we need to be faithful to share. So, question, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say? And the reality is this, that your life, now and in eternity, will show your answer to that question. Because it's going to affect how you live, and it's going to affect where you spend eternity, what you believe. So what I want to do here for just a little bit, so I want to give you an opportunity. Would you like to receive Christ as Savior? Would you like to do what we've talked about here? If you haven't already, if you're not clear on that, what I'm going to do is 
uh, lead you in prayer to receive Jesus' Savior. Now, understand this. Saying these words never saves anybody. It's not a magic prayer, not a magic anything. But what I want to lead you in is, is to help you to genuinely express from your inner being, your heart, your soul, your mind, that you are receiving Christ as Savior, okay? And if that's sincere and genuine, then you will have received Christ and your sins will be forgiven and you'll have eternal life and he's gonna move in and make that, start making those changes for good. So let's just bow our heads, everybody here. And so if you're here today and you haven't ever really settled that issue of having received Christ as Savior, as I've talked about numerous times here today, but you want to. And right now I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And again, it's not the exact words that are, what's the point? The point is what's going on in your heart and mind. And uh, you can pray silently because God knows what's in your mind. He knows what you're thinking. If you want to receive Christ as Savior, just pray something like this now to God. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I haven't lived the way that you say I should live. And I know that there's no way I can fix that on my own. I believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he's your son. And I believe that he died for my sins. And I'm believing that he rose from the dead. And right now, I receive him as my savior. I put my faith in him and what he's done to provide forgiveness of sins. I'm trusting that your promise to save me is true. Please make those changes in my life that we've heard about today. And give me the confidence that I know you and that you will never let go of me. Amen. All right, you guys can look up again. Let me say this to you. If you pray to receive Jesus as Savior today, it really is important that you act on that because it will give you a tremendous amount of confidence in your, your, your decision. Uh, and so I'm asking you, tell me about it. Lots of ways to do that. You can just, when you see me in a little while, just say, hey, I prayed with you. Okay, that works. Maybe across the room you see me and you go, hey, that works. Send me a text to that number. But you need to act on your decision. And the best way to do that is to tell somebody. Okay? All right. God bless you. Next week we're starting a sermon series, unless God changes my mind, which could happen, uh, on the sections of the book of Acts and, and what he did and what he wants us to be doing. Okay? All right. God bless you. Have a great week. Talk to you about any questions you have about this, okay?